Welcome to Ghost Gaze, a hauntingly gay podcast. Hey, welcome back to Ghost Gaze. I'm Carson. I'm Colleen. And today, you probably may have seen on our Instagram, but we are recording The Conjuring 3. Or we're not recording it, we're talking about that shit, you know. <laughs> I mean, we are also recording while we talk about it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Ooh, very, very um, exciting. Yes, I love this case. It's um, known to many in, like, the paranormal world. First cases ever brought as a, so for a murder trial, it is one of the very first cases where demonic possession was the defense for insanity. Yes. So, also, fun fact, shout out to my little East Coast fam now. Uh, it was in Connecticut, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah, Connecticut. I was just yeah. like double checking my notes. I was like, yeah. yeah, you could. Um, so tell me a little bit more about the case in general. Sure. No, really, I adore talking about this case so much. I think it's fascinating how it all took place. I think the trial was just like, it's weird to say one of the best for the times, but you know, it was so publicized that like going back during my research and watching some of the footage that they had of them, like, talking around the courthouse. mm, Strongly recommend looking up some of those videos because they're super cool to look at. The basic background of this case um, was that Arne Johnson, um, in the original, like, testimony that both um, Arne Johnson and Debbie Glatzel provided, um, they said that from the very beginning, they didn't believe in demonic possession. Right. Um, they, but they were both adamant in their support in the Warren's recollection of everything. So right off the bat, the fact that they went into this not believing in demonic possession, but then like after they got started working with the Warrens on um, like exorcisms that they worked on for this case, it like it really shows you that something clearly had to have happened to have changed their point of view. Right. Both Johnson. And Debbie were like adamant in their support of the Warren's recollection of everything that happened. Um, And they are also adamant about the fact that the paranormal activity began after they went to clean up a rental property that they had just purchased or acquired. Um, He did and that he was like pushing him and yelling to get out and to stay out. And this was his home. And uh, they initially thought that this kid, this child, was using this old man apparition as an excuse from getting out of cleaning up the rental property. Um, but they told, or David told him, that he had promised to hurt the family if they moved into the rental home. So, again, right off the bat, big creepy energy don't know why they continued with trying to own this home and like rent it out to other people because what in the world like always trust younger people when they say they tell you a spirit of some sort because i mean we'll get into the whole discussion of how kids third eye or like younger humans their third eye is more open but so right off the bat you start with this kid seeing this vision of this old man yelling about how they can't stay there. They can't be there. This is his home. 
He'll hurt them if they stay there. He'll hurt them if they rent it out. It also his visions also included this old man appearing as a demonic beast who muttered Latin and threatened to steal his soul. I appreciate everything that they had to go through. Like I, I feel for them having to go through the, all of the trials and investigations and scrutiny that their family went through. But also, they had every opportunity to get the fuck out. So, <laughs> allegedly, the family also heard strange noises coming from the attic. But no one but David ever witnessed the old man, the apparition. So that's partially why they thought they he was lying they were like oh well he just we just moved in he's just a kid he could just be like seeing weird things or just trying to get us to go back to wherever we were before because he doesn't like being here you know yeah kept getting worse i mean david ignite tears he started exhibiting strange behavior he started getting like scratches and bruises that are very stereotypical in possessions And so eventually, the family called upon the services of a Catholic priest who attempted to bless the house. Um, But the family decided, even after the blessing, that it was it was too scary. It was there was too much evil energy there. They could no longer continue to rent that home. So are you ready to get into some of the kind of spooky parts of this? Yeah, I would love to hear some of the spooky parts. Even after the family did not rent this home, David's visions of everything that was like the man and all of this like terrifying demonic force or entity muttering Latin to him, it just got worse. Yeah. And it started to occur at day as well. Like it, they could no longer pass it off as night terrors or sleep paralysis. It was happening in the middle of the day. So I think they said it was, yes, it was uh, about 12 or 13 days. Some people say it was even 15 days. Um, I think the official court record says it was 12 days after the original incident um, is when the family then called Ed and Lorraine Warren onto the scene. What was going on, see if they were really dealing with a demonic possession or if their son had just gone crazy. Um, so they called them on the scene to assist Lorraine Warren, I guess, immediately witnessed a black mist materialize next to David, which was indicative of a, or, um, Lorraine Warren immediately witnessed this black mist materialize next to David. And like, immediately she was like, oh, well, there's this like black misty apparition Obviously, that means that there is some sort of malevolent energy hanging around and it's attached to your son. Uh, So Debbie and her mother told the Warrens that they had seen David being beaten and choked by invisible hands. And that they had seen like the marks on his neck after this had happened. And also, on top of that, David has now started to growl hiss, speak in otherworldly voices, and recite passages from the Bible or Paradise Lost. So, like, tell me this kid is not possessed. I'm pretty sure that if everybody were to do their research right now and looked up, like, the Vatican's 
top 10 list of signs of possession or whatever if it's out there. Otherworldly languages, check. Visions or speaking like specifically Latin, check. Yeah. Seeing some sort of malevolent spirit or energy hanging around this kid or the kid having visions of this energy, check. Reciting Bible passages or religious like sonnets or whatever. Fucking check. So like the family would stay awake with him as he suffered through spasms and convulsions and all of this other shit. I guess uh, this was hmm? say this was David. Yes, this is David. This is before we even uh, get to like the actual trial. That I think David, I think like real life David said that he had like a list of like 43 different demons with names and everything. Yeah. And like the fact that's why I was like, I mean, that's the other thing is that this kid that we're talking about that, like before we even get to Arne Johnson, he's still alive or he was alive for a very long time after the whole thing was presented. And like, he was very, um, like he had a very strong memory of things that were, he was very aware of like what was happening to him. The the Warrens come in, they assess the situation, they realize that all of this crazy, frankly, shit is going down, and they're like, oh, yeah, your kid's fucking possessed. Okay. So, um, they asserted that he's possessed. He went through three, what they called, lesser exorcisms. And then, uh, like, it never really worked, I guess. Like, the, the lesser yeah. exorcisms never really worked. He was still possessed. Um, and so, all of this, to give a little bit of a timeline. So, all of this started in 1978, is what I have on record here. And in 1980 is when... The Warrens finally contacted the police. I don't know how long they were involved with the case before then, but in 1980, in October, the Warrens contacted the Brookfield police to say, hey, this situation is starting to get out of our control a little bit. We don't really know what's going on here anymore, but like, shit's about to go down, so be on guard. And then, according to eyewitness testimony, Arne Johnson convinced one of the demons that was possessing David during one of the exorcisms to possess him instead. He egged on the demon and then was attacked. And the demon then allegedly took control of Arne Johnson. Um, And it said that at the time of the demon taking over control of Johnson, he, it like, it said that Arne Johnson was driving his car and when the demon took control, he forced it into a tree. And so I personally believe that at the time, uh, and this is my own personal belief about all demon demonic possessions, but I believe that when a demon takes full control over a human body for like full autonomy, that body has to be either dead or close to death. And so I believe that the demon like purposefully crashed the car because it was like hey fuck this dude like he's mocking me he's taunting me he's daring <clears throat> me to come and possess him instead of this guy like 
you know what? I fucking will. Let's crash his car and I'm going to take control of his body. Little bitch. Put him in a tree. And then Johnson also recollects or recollects that this is his final, like, lucid moment with the demon. Like, after that, he doesn't really remember anything. He doesn't, like, you know what I mean? Like, everything is just fuzzy after that. He remembers taunting the demon. He remembers encountering the demon as the car was crashing, I guess. And that's his last lucid moment. Some other people argue that, like, he became possessed when he saw the demon at the bottom of the well. And he made eye contact Mm. with whatever he saw at the bottom of that well. And people say that the demon then took control of his body. Because, and especially because the Warrens warned them that if they saw an apparition of any sort, to not make eye contact. Oh, I would have been, I would have been the one to be like, oh, they said don't look at it, so don't look at it. And then just be like, fuck, I gotta look at it. And then turn around. (laughs) I also would have been like, this bitch can't possibly possess me just by making eye contact. Let me make eye contact. Like, try it. <laughs> um, Carson. Yeah. Do you want to hear about the actual um killing that Arne Johnson has been tried for? Yeah. Or on February. So, for quick recap, quick reminder here. Um, so in October of 1980 is when the Warrens contacted the police, right, and said that like. Hey, this might be out of our control. We're not really sure what's going on anymore. Um, on February 16th of 1981, so what is that, like four months after they called the police? Yeah. Johnson called in sick to his job. And he joined Debbie at the kennel where she worked, along with her sister. Mm-hmm. And at the time... Uh, Bono, who was the couple's landlord, brought. Bono? Yes, his name is Bono. Not Bono, Bono. Uh, uh, this is oh. like the second podcast that we've done in a row where uh, the, we were talking about the Fort Mackinac, and there was a soldier at Fort, Fort Mackinac, Danielle, who was named um, James Brown. Was that his name? Yeah. Yes. He was. His name was James Brown, and we had to be like, not the James Brown. So Bono. So, <laughs> so Bono was the couple's landlord, and he was also Debbie's boss at the kennel that she worked at. Now, on February 16th, he bought them all lunch and proceeded to get very drunk at this lunch. Good. And now afterwards, the group returned to the kennel. And Debbie took the girls to get pizza, but, like, she felt like something was off. It wasn't right. She basically took them out to get, like, a slice. And then was like, we got to get the fuck back there. I don't know what's going on, but, like, the vibes are off. And I we need to get back there. And then when they returned, Bono was extremely ad- or agitated and intoxicated at this point. And so Debbie got everybody out of the room. and. Bono, at that point, grabbed Mary, who was Debbie's nine-year-old cousin, who was, like, shadowing Debbie at work that day, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so he grabbed Mary, and he refused to let go of her. So Johnson then headed upstairs, and he ordered for the landlord to let go of this nine-year-old girl. Um, 
And he said that Mary ran for the car and uh, they tried to pull Johnson away, but he started growling like an animal and then drew a five-inch knife and started just stabbing Bono repeatedly. It said that he died several hours later from four or five tremendous wounds to his chest and that one of them stretched from his stomach to the base of his heart. So, like, let's, let's go back to the fact that, first of all, this demon seems to be obsessed with children because whatever Johnson invited him to, into himself, whatever he taunted, was possessing a child, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that then this very drunk landlord, this asshole, was being, I don't know, a little Frank Gallagher of their friend group and just, like, fucking around mm-hmm. and being obnoxious and being an asshole. And he grabbed this nine-year-old kid. I truly believe that demon was like, um, excuse me, kids are my thing. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> and he just went ham wild. He took control of Horn Johnson's body and just murdered this landlord. Oh my God. Um, it said that Arne Johnson, after the murder, was found two miles from the site. He had no memory of what had happened. He was just found walking along the dirt road like he is in the movie, covered from head to foot in blood. And he like he had no idea what had happened. Arne. Arne. Yeah, what a weird name. It, I know. it sounds <laughs> like three different names. Like Every time you say it, I'm like, who? Oh, Arne. Arn, Arn Johnson. It's also mm-hmm. worth mentioning real quick that um, after he like made eye contact with whatever was in that well, after he tormented the demon, like this wasn't an immediate switch. This was like a four month buildup of people realizing that there was something wrong with him. Like he just started to become more and more like pulled into himself he stopped hanging out with his family he stopped contacting his friends like he just he was not the same person that everybody knew after Arn johnson was found lorraine warren was the first person to go to the police and be like hey we literally called you about this we said that we had a demonic possession case that was getting out of control like this is one of the people that was there through his own bidding, he's a fucking idiot, but, like, he got possessed during the possession, um, and, like, this is not his fault. And immediately after she spoke to the police is when the, like, media blitz of everything started. Um, and it just, it was one of the most publicized cases in general for that time period. And then when you throw in the defense argument of demonic possession on top of it it like it got blown so out of no i guess i shouldn't say out of proportion because somebody died but like i mean his family was receiving death threats for something that could be considered not his fault a fun fact about this is that (laughs) martin manella who was arn johnson's lawyer um was receiving calls from i mean everywhere about this trial And he eventually traveled to England to meet with some lawyers who've been involved in very similar cases. Um, But those Mm -hmm. trials, uh, for whatever reason, lack of evidence or lack of 
whatever, they never went to trial. Um, so he planned to fly, fly in an exorcism specialist. So, yeah, anyway, sorry. He His plan was to fly in a bunch of exorcism specialists to, like, prove his point of demonic possession. Mm-hmm. So the trial eventually took place um, not until October of 1981. So, like, the... Original possession of David was around October of 1980 ish, right? The yeah. murder happened in February of 1981. The trial didn't start until almost a year after David's possession or exorcism. Wow, that's weird. Actually, it's not that weird, but I mean, it's not that weird, but yeah. like, it's, it's just wild a while. Think about a little bit. Um, so they immediately submitted the plea of not guilty by re- cause of demonic possession. And, like, naturally, the judge was like, <laughs> you guys are fucking crazy. Like, that's never going to work. What are you guys talking about, right? He, he was just like, it's too unsci- unscientific. There's no evidence. There's no facts to back up any of the statements that you're making in court. Um, So they chose instead to say that he was acting in self-defense because the landlord was so drunk and so belligerent that Arn had no choice but to attack. And then my last fun fact about this is that the jury was so like hung up about whether or not it was demonic possession or self-defense or anything that they deliberated for, I think it was 15 hours for three days in a row. And that was just jury deliberation. It was 15 hours, three days in a row before they eventually sentenced Arne. He did have a, uh, a sentencing of guilty for first degree manslaughter, but he was sentenced for only 10 to 20 years. And then he only served about five years. Yeah. And he's a free man as of this day. Well, as free as you can be when you go through something that traumatic. I mean... Yeah. Those are all my fun facts. Cool. And on the actual case. It went a lot longer than I thought it was going to. <laughs> That's okay. Mine probably isn't going to be super long, but I do have some stuff about the movie. Yeah, tell me all of your facts about the movie. Okay, so one of my favorite ones was... I, I did not know this, but, you know, okay, so when... During David's exorcism... It's not CGI that they're they're doing. It's an actual contortionist that they got, and they like imposed his head on the body. I thought oh, it was a CGI. Oh, I love it when they do that. Yeah, yeah. I think they tried to do as many real stunts as they could without wanting to do CGI because they wanted to keep it legit. They wanted to keep it real. Yeah. And they've done this before. Yeah, my other favorite instance of like using somebody who is a contortionist in a horror movie is probably the actress from the original ring movie that yes. played Samara in the well. Yeah. She was a contortionist. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so like, that, that was, that really was like, cool. I think one of the very first modern day horror movie instances where they weren't using CGI, like that was the actual person fucking climbing up the wall, like a spider. You want to know the coolest part about that scene? Um, well, part? In, in, in the conjuring is that yeah. the reaction that, um, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farminga have when they're, you know, when they see him like contort for the first time, um, like their reaction is legit because they had no idea that that was going to happen. 
I love that. That first reaction is there is the first time they shot it. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. That would terrify me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it was supposed to. Yeah. Okay, so another thing that I thought was really cool was the waterbed scene. Um, where the, like the hand comes through and grabs him and above. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they said, okay, so that didn't like really happen to them, but like the the way it was brought up is because the waterbed had this like really nasty stain on it, and they noticed mm-hmm. it and all kind of like touched it and whatever, and they that's kind of like oh, it kind of happened when we were all investigating this little weird stain which i'm assuming is probably fucking blood or something you know but they were like that's to believe the quote origin of the possession fucking creepy Um, as hell oh yeah and like i said earlier um lorraine warren she was talking to the actress vera farminga about this case and she told him that david had created like a numbered like I, i just said earlier he had like names and numbers for all of them but he like literally created a numbered list of all the demons and all the names and that's one of the things that she was told um by lorraine warren which i thought was really cool that's really cool so um i was reading that another i mean in classic fashion with doing the conjuring movies and them covering like the cases of evan lorraine warren um i mean I read that, again, this was one of those things where the cast would wake up with, like, scratches and bruises and cuts. And, like, uh, I read that one of the actresses, I think it was the one that played Debbie, um, she said that she got up to get ready to go. It was She wasn't even filming that day. She got ready to go out to lunch with her friends. And her makeup was just, like, smashed on the counter. Yeah. Or something like that. And, like. I've also read that Vera Firminga um, has considered even not doing these movies anymore because there has been so much spooky shit that just keeps following her everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. And the funniest part about all of this is that Patrick Wilson's way to decompress between scenes is to scare the living shit out of Vera Firminga. Well, that's probably why she doesn't want to do them anymore. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. I was like, wow. I mean, that, I feel okay. like that would be you and me if we were actually filming a horror movie together. You would just come up and scare the shit out of me all the time to make yourself laugh. Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, ooh, we should write a movie. Let's write a movie. All right, let's write a movie. Ghost Gaze. <laughs> yeah, let's call it Ghost Gaze. It'll be like Ghost I mean, Shark. honestly... But well, honestly, could, so another fun fact I thought was really funny was they actually they wrote this for the movie, but in the movie they take the lawyer to meet Annabelle. Yeah. Uh, and that did not happen in real life. No, they I know. I, I think that they were um trying to portray that as being the lawyer going to meet with like all of the other demonologists and like exorcism yeah. experts in London. But like they had to tie it back into the other movies somehow. I don't know. I don't know. I thought that was funny that they they added that in. It was really... I liked that. I thought that was cool, though. Mm-hmm. It was a good way to convince the uh, lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and my last fun fact is, in the beginning, the ghost is like, I'm going to kill you, and then, like, pounds, like, on his chest. 
uh, onto Ed Warren's chest and like he has like a heart attack. Okay, that did happen, but not while they were investigating that case. Yes, I was going to talk about that too. Is that um, he Ed Warren notoriously like and from that moment on had major heart issues with um yeah. like whenever they dealt with demon cases or like ghost possession cases from that point on he had to take like a secondary step back or like he had to ride in the shotgun seat instead mm-hmm. which was so unusual to see for him being like normally the protector of Lorraine and being so concerned about her going too far with her medium powers like that had right. to have been hard for him yeah it must have been really hard but i do think it's takes it too far it's super cool that they like found a way to tie it into the movies in like a little dramatized of a way, I suppose, but like they found a way to mm-hmm. tie in all of his like actual with the supernatural, like this was all taking such a toll on him, you know, that it started to yeah. affect him physically. Do you have any other thoughts or like questions about any, any uh, theories about what could have actually gone down with this case? I don't know, because from the movie, they make it very clear that it's like actual demonic possession, whilst this could just be some crazy person wanting to just be like, I want to murder a couple people and get away with it, you know? And then like other people, like other, you you know, like, uh, let's talk about, or let's not talk about, let's bring in the subject of Emily Rose for a second, or like the movie of Emily Rose and the case of Annalise, Annalise Michaels. Um, yep. and they said that she wasn't possessed. She just had epilepsy. Oh, I, I've heard about that one. Yes. So like that, I think that's what they were trying to kind of play out with on Johnson as well as they were saying, mm-hmm. oh, well, you're not possessed. You just have a medical condition that's causing you to think this way. Yeah. I don't know. I, I would like to believe it actually did happen because I'm, I would like to believe that Arn Johnson didn't actually just like murder some dude. Um, and that a murderer isn't just like free on the streets right now. Yeah, and like I said, he could be one of those people who's like, I just want to murder somebody one time. That's it, never again. And like he could be that person, but I, I'd like to he believe could. that. But like, I think that I really mm. do believe that there's in this specific case, like all the other Conjuring movies, even that we've talked about so far. There's like a level of doubt. There's like at least a thirty percent gray area where you could be like oh they're they're probably fucking lying for whatever oh, yeah. reason but like so much evidence because it was such a publicized case there was so much police investigation into everything mm-hmm. that happened like every eyewitness that they talked to they were like oh yeah the dude was like there was something fucking wrong like he was fucking possessed i get that so, yeah, yeah, yeah i i i would like to believe that i like to view this possessed. as our first public case of demonic possession in the court of law yeah have there been a lot more i only know of this one really um i am sure you know what as much as i talk about all of this ghostly otherworldly shit i should know i should be more boned up on my knowledge of like murder trials that involve demonic possession as a defense or a prosecution argument but um i like this is the only one that i can think of off the top of my head purely because of how famous it got like when you search you know murder trials demonic possession this is the first one that comes up that's true it does do that (laughs) um yeah i think that's all i have 
for this. I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I, I didn't I think I was going to like it at first. You know, I didn't either because, and this is nothing against any of the cast or really anything, but like right. when you reach a certain point with any horror franchise, it starts to feel a little bit played out, especially yeah. if you're using the same recurring characters over and over again. But I think yeah, that, and it. Sorry. Um. It, I, oh no, I, I, I was just gonna say like the both. Oh, I'm sorry. That like both first two movies dealt with like actual haunted houses, and this this just deals with like a person or persons who are haunted, and that's why I was like, oh, I don't know how this is gonna work because that's kind of like how all like the Conjuring movies and the Conjuring spinoffs kind of seem to be, except for like Annabelle, but. That wasn't great, right. but <laughs> um, so I was very <laughs> I was weary say, about. I think that the Conjuring franchise, like the directors and the producers, they've all found a really unique way to be able to like keep it fresh every single time. Yeah, and I liked how they strayed away from that that classic haunted house scene and did something a little different because it was interesting and I did like it. And you know, that part of me who was like, mm, I don't know if I want to watch this. But I did, and I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's definitely not, like, one of my favorite movies, because, you know. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. The The cast was great. The The effects were great, you know. Yeah. And it, For uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all we have for The Conjuring 3, and next time we're going to do something a little different. Yeah, so we are gearing up towards the end of our first official season as a podcast. I know, it's crazy. I know. I mean, and do you realize that we've been doing this for almost a year? Yeah. Like, I mean, okay, realistically it's not almost a year, but like it's going to be like a year before we realize it. I know. We're almost there. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah, so next episode we want to do something a little different. Um, We won't super be focusing on a certain event or movie or something, but we're uh, just going to kind of recap and talk about what we have talked about, like our expectations of what we thought that we were going to do going into this podcast and what we've really ended up doing in the in the long run should be fun so tune in next time it is gonna be a hoot <laughs> it's gonna be a hoot you're absolutely correct check us out on instagram at ghost gaze podcast check us out on twitter at ghost underscore gaze and if you have any scary stories email them to us at ghost podcast at gmail.com all right friends stay safe stay spooky out there and as <laughs> always if you see a ghost who are you gonna call the ghost gaze. <laughs> <laughs> what okay. are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Call the ghost gaze? <laughs> like, email the ghost gaze. Email the ghost gaze. <laughs>
Colleen doesn't prefer lesbian anymore. She prefers vegetarian. It's Britney, bitch. <laughs>